Well, speaking of a little too late, uh, this past Wednesday, February 17th, the Texas Public Utilities Commission convened. And after convening and meeting, they sent out and issued an order that said, hey, from now on, if you are a resident of Texas and you receive any kind of utilities, electricity, that you cannot have your power cut off for more than 12 hours. And obviously, after all that's been going on this past week, uh, some people had no power for 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, 96 hours, 120 hours. That sounds so great and amazing that you would only have 12 hours of uh, living without power. And so they issued this order that said, hey, from now on, if you live in Texas and you have electricity, uh, you will not have your power cut off for more than 12 hours. So you won't have pipes being burst. You won't have children who need bottles warmed up or babies with bottles warmed up. You won't have to sleep in 35 degree, 40 degree bedrooms under a whole bunch of covers and sleeping bags and makeshift tents. You won't have to do that because from now on, you'll have 12 hours of a blackout and then you'll roll on and you'll get power and then roll around. So that's what they decided because their goal is this. Their goal is what happened this past week will never, ever happen again. We'll never have those uh, houses on fire and people having carbon monoxide poisoning. We will never have this again because, again, they have said, they've issued an order. Their goal is that we'll never have this again. Now, here's the issue is often when we issue orders or we build buildings, we start ministries or we do Bible studies or we attend a community group, we often forget the goal, the why of what we're doing. And so what we're looking at today is Nehemiah chapter 7, I think is very appropriate for what we've been through this week, and it'll put a spotlight or focus on how we can serve during this week as well. So in Nehemiah chapter 7, they have finished rebuilding the wall. They've done it in only 52 days. With all the opposition and others who try to stop them and thwart them, in 52 days, they built this wall, two miles, two and a half miles in circumference, eight to nine feet thick, 40 feet high. They've finished it in only 52 days because it was all hands on deck. Everyone put their hand to the work. But then this is what Nehemiah didn't do. You would think after accomplishing this major task of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, now Nehemiah would take a vacation. He would have it made in the shade and sipping on a tall glass of lemonade. But now he realizes that the work is only really beginning because the goal is this. Here's a sermon title from Nehemiah 7 is rebuilding the wall isn't the goal. The goal of Nehemiah isn't rebuilding the wall. That wasn't it. And here's the issue or here's the real goal. The secondary goal is what I call it. He says in verse 1, after the wall was finished, again in 52 days, I had set up the doors in the gates. The gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. I gave the responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, and he's the original Hanani that we read about in, uh, in Nehemiah 1. He's the one that brought the report about the city and the wall being in ruins. So here he is, almost full circle now, responsible for leadership, along with Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, for he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. And so here are two men that have been called to lead uh, this rebuilt city, this rebuilt wall. And notice the qualifications. He says he was faithful and he feared God. And we've said that over and over again the last couple of weeks is fearing God means that you take God seriously and you take his word seriously. And so apparently Hananiah did that. He says, do not leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day, which usually was the afternoon when they would take often a siesta, they would take a little break and they're vulnerable to attack. So he says, don't leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day. So keep them closed. Even while the gatekeepers are on duty, have them shut and bar the doors. Appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch, 
Some will serve at sentry points and some in front of their own homes. Verse 4. At that time, the city was large and spacious, but the population was small, and none of the houses had been rebuilt. So my God gave me the idea. No, no, he says, my God gave me the idea to call together all the um, nobles and leaders of the city, along with the ordinary citizens, for registration. And he says, I'd found the genealogical records of those who had, led, uh, had first returned to Judah. So here's encapsulated in the first five verses of Nehemiah chapter 7, what I would call the secondary purpose of rebuilding the wall. So the overall purpose, the goal, wasn't just rebuilding the wall, because if it was, then Nehemiah, 52 days, it's done, now he can go on vacation. No, he says, that wasn't the goal. So the secondary goal is this, is redeemed and restored people living in God's shalom. If you remember the whole series, uh, we've said that sin leads to brokenness. Sin leads to brokenness, but a return to God, repentance and faithfulness to God leads to restoration. And so now that the walls have been restored, now life can restore as God had intended to be. It could be restored in terms of temple worship. It could be restored in terms of education. It could be restored in terms of economics and commerce. It could be restored in terms of the home life. Because now that the walls have been rebuilt, they were not vulnerable to outside attack. They were not vulnerable to having their lives interrupted. And that's what we've had this last week. We've had our lives interrupted. And so he says in this text that he would set guards, these gatekeepers, these singers and Levites, and he blends what I would call the spiritual with the social, uh, the spiritual with the leadership aspect, just like it says in Hebrews 13, 7, that we as believers should honor and submit to those leaders in our church because they watch over our souls. So he says, these leaders, these gatekeepers, who are probably Levites, they were watching over, guarding the city, both in a spiritual sense, but also in a physical sense as well, because the secondary goal was the well-being, the shalom of the people who've been redeemed and restored. Let me give you a definition of shalom. Shalom is a healthy and harmonious life that comes from submission to God. When we submit to God, when we submit to Jesus Christ and follow him as our king, we enjoy God's shalom, this health and harmony, this kind of prosperity and peace, the way that God intended life to be lived. And again, they did not enjoy that when the walls were down because they were vulnerable, they were insecure, and now they have both security and safety because the walls have been built, the gates are closed and open as needed, and they have guards and priests and others who are constantly watching over the city. And that was a secondary goal. So again, the goal wasn't, let's rebuild the walls. Two miles, two and a half miles in the circumference, eight to nine feet wide, 40 feet high. We've done that. That wasn't the goal. The goal was seeing redeemed and restored people living in God's shalom. And here's the application for that. The modern day application is this. I love Bayou City Fellowship. I love the fact that we have three campuses. We have Spring Branch, Cypress, and Tomball. We've got 64 community groups all across Greater Houston. We've got Bible studies. We've got youth group. We have all these great things. But the goal isn't more campuses. The goal isn't a multi-million dollar budget. The goal isn't more community groups. The goal isn't having all this stuff. The reason why we have three campuses, the reason why we have 64 community groups, the reason why we have youth ministries and Bible studies for men and women, the reason why we have all these things, hopefully, is because our goal is, the secondary goal, like Nehemiah, to see redeemed and restored people living in God's shalom. As we submit to Jesus Christ as our king, as our president, that we would enjoy life, that we would live life as God intended it to be lived. That's the goal. 
So again, the goal is not saying, check, I did a Bible study, check, I did my devotions, check, I went to worship gathering, check, I went to community group, check, check, and I did all these things. That's not the goal. Those are hopefully the means by which we achieve the goal, again, like the wall being rebuilt, of redeemed and restored people living in God's shalom, that health and harmony as we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first part. And then in verses six and on to the end, verse 73, it's a whole list of the population. It's a census. It's a genealogy of all the people that have left exile, come back to uh, Judah, and have lived in the countryside. And now they're asking them to come back and live in the city so that life can go back to how it was when the walls were up. So that's what the rest of it is. And it's a parallel to Ezra chapter two, I believe verses one through 70, which also lists a, a, has a list of the people who returned from exile. Here's the, the primary goal though. So if the secondary goal is redeemed and restored people living in God's shalom, what is the primary goal? What's the primary goal? And this is really the goal of the Bible. If you could sum, uh, summarize the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it would be this. In Genesis, God said, it is good. Sin entered the world and brokenness entered the world. Broken relationship with God, broken relationship with one another. And so what God did was he sent and promised a redeemer and restorer that was to come, Jesus Christ. And so the middle part of the book is all about redemption and restoration. And at the end, we see the culmination of all things in Revelation in which ultimately, finally, Everything will be restored. We'll have a new heaven and a new earth. So it's a story about good, sin, brokenness, redemption, restoration, and finally, ultimate restoration or glorification. That's the story of the Bible. So here's the primary goal of why the wall was rebuilt. Here's the primary goal of why we have three campuses. Here's the primary goal of why we've got 64 community groups. Here's the primary goal why we've got youth group and women's Bible studies and women's prayer, women's prayer and men's prayer and men's discipleship. The primary goal is this, is God's kingdom plan for redeeming, restoring people for his glory. That's the ultimate plan. God has a plan, and that plan is, again, uh, for his kingdom plan is to see people redeemed and restored for his glory. And if you don't know what that word glory means, it means for his fame, for his notoriety, so that he's known, so that his reputation grows. That's the reason. That's the primary goal of why we've got Again, three campuses, 64 community groups, and all these ministries going on. Outreaches both here in Houston, but also around the world. That's why we have these things. The primary goal is that. So again, that's God's primary goal. From Genesis Revelation and even in the book of Nehemiah, we see again, God says it's good. Sin enters the world. We see brokenness. We see God's plan for redemption and restoration through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God in the flesh, Emmanuel. And then we see in Revelation, the culmination of all things. We see the ultimate restoration, the ultimate redemption. And here's what God allows us to do now as his children, as his followers, is to participate in the work of redemption and restoration. That's what God is asking us to do through loving our neighbor, love God, love neighbor, and the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations or make disciples of all ethnicities. And so here's a great opportunity. In our world today, in Greater Houston, this past week, we have seen the loss of shalom. We've seen the loss of wholeness. We've seen the loss of harmony. We've seen the loss of prosperity. We've seen the loss of peace because of all that's transpired. And so now we have the opportunity as God's ambassadors, as God's followers, as God's children, as students of Jesus Christ, student followers, to now be 
ambassadors, envoys to be able to now give restoration, to give shalom as we've received shalom. So here's the big idea for today. How can the Lord use you to restore your neighbor's shalom? How can God himself use you to restore your neighbor's shalom? Because again, God is redeeming and restoring. That's his plan for his glory, for his namesake, for his fame. So he's known throughout the universe. So he's glorified and exalted and worshiped. He says, I've got a plan. And that plan happens through Jesus Christ that he wants to see men and women, boys and girls, all across the globe, redeemed and restored. Many of you all have heard my testimony. Uh, I became a Christian in high school, and the person who uh, shared the gospel for the very first time, his name is Doug, and Doug's father was the auto shop teacher. I don't know if high schools still offer auto shop, but uh, we had auto shop class, and you had to be a junior or senior to take it, and so my junior year, I took auto shop, and that's where I learned basic auto mechanics. I can change my own oil, change spark plugs, and change filters and whatnot. I learned it from Doug's dad, who was an amazing auto shop teacher. I remember one day in class, uh, we were all summoned outside, and a tractor trailer pulled in this old, rusted out, broken down 57 Chevy. It was nothing to look at. It was just a shell of a car that was totally rusted out. And this is what they said. We have just purchased this car. We've just purchased this car, and we're going to restore it. And so they got the original manual, and they began this restoration process in my junior year. And so Doug and his dad began this process, and this is what happened. By the time our senior year came around, it was time for the senior prom. Over about a year, year and a half of work, looking at the original manual, they restored this 57 Chevy to its original beauty, a beautiful red and white 57 Chevy. Now, I remember vividly Doug taking his prom date in his fully restored 57 Chevy. And you know what? As I thought about that, that's what God does with us as well. God is in the business of redeeming people, purchasing people back, and then restoring them. Because again, sin always leads to brokenness. But when we open up God's word and we submit to him and we say, God, we're going to do it your way, we begin to experience restoration in our lives, restoration in our friendships, restoration in our marriage, restoration in our parenting. We'll see restoration in our churches and communities as well. So God is in the business, the ministry of restoration, because that is his primary goal. And again, the walls rebuilt, life goes back, they experience shalom in their spiritual life, in their parenting, in their commerce, in their business, in their education. Temple worship is restored as well. So even in a spiritual sense, we see worship restored because again, when we submit to God and do things his way, God's ultimate purpose is this, is that he would be in the business, the ministry, the calling of redeeming and restoring people. I'll close with this story. Um, On Friday, I received word from one of our members at Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch that she had led a young single mom to the Lord. This single mom of five kids began asking questions about the Bible and all that she was going through. And so it opened a door for this member of Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch to share the gospel with her. And this mom responded in faith. She put her faith in Jesus Christ as her Savior. She put her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior, and she was born again. And if you're not rejoicing with me, you are either don't have a pulse or don't have a spiritual pulse, because that is awesome. Whenever we see John 3, 3, someone being born again. But here's what happened. So she trusted Christ, and this member is going to walk with her and just disciple her and help her grow. On Tuesday, As the outside temperatures are like 12 degrees, 
This young lady, this mom, reaches out to this member and says, I have no power at all in my apartment. I've got five kids. I don't know what to do. I've got an infant. I don't have, don't have diapers. I don't have food. I don't know what to do. And so we asked where she lived, and we discovered that she actually lived closer to the Cypress campus. So I quickly reached out to Johnny Marks, the pastor of Cypress. And I said, Johnny, we've got this single mom who just came to faith in Jesus Christ. Her apartment has no power, no water. She's got five kids. Can you bring her some food? We've tried to do what we can on our end. We've tried to have people go out there, do delivery, all that stuff, but we can't get anything through to her. So Johnny said, I'm on it. I've got some members here. I've got some people who are ready to serve. Well, then I, I, I text him. I said, hey, where are we at with the process? He said, hey, we're having problems too. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out to Tomball. And before I could even check on what happened, Eric Frisbee, our kids pastor from Tomball, says, hey, I'm there. So he goes to the grocery store, gets diapers and food and all kinds of stuff, is able to get to this apartment, drop off the food with this mom, and pray with her. So imagine you're the kid's pastor and you see these five young kids. Now there's an instant connection there as well with the kid's pastor. And so again, God has given us three campuses, not so that we can brag and say, look, we've got these three campuses, we've got these amazing facilities, we've got this great staff. The purpose isn't having three campuses. The purpose isn't, the goal isn't having this multi-million dollar budget. The goal isn't having all these campuses and all these ministries. The goal is, secondary goal, seeing redeemed and restored people living in God's shalom, that health and harmony that God offers as we submit to him. But our ultimate purpose, the ultimate goal, the kingdom purpose, the kingdom goal is this. God is calling us to be used by him in this ministry of redeeming and restoring people for his glory. So here's my challenge to you all. As God is restoring bits and pieces of shalom to your life, to your family, to your parenting, to your marriage, to your home, that you would begin to look around and say, God, how do you want to use me in this ministry of now reaching out to my neighbors and being someone who restores maybe just a little bit of shalom to somebody else? So that's my prayer for you. Let's pray together. God, I pray now that as we uh, live our lives and go to work or go back to school or wherever we go, even when we're at HEB in the grocery store or maybe uh, uh, meeting with a plumber. God, as your shalom, your health and harmony is restored to our lives, and God, we see the brokenness and the hurt and the pain all around us. God, that you would use us as agents, as missionaries, as servants of restoration. God, open our eyes. Give us your eyes. Give us your ears to see and hear the needs around us, and God, how you have called us to love our neighbor, to help restore a little bit of shalom to those around us, because God, we love you, and we fear you, and because God, we love our neighbor as ourselves. And Master, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Let all, all God's people say amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Icky, for that incredible message from Nehemiah chapter 7. Um, talking about the shalom that we are called to help bring into the world. And, and right now, our world needs shalom. It needs peace. And if you're like me, during this season, when we've just encountered all that we have this past week with power outages, with weather challenges, um, with, uh, water sh with water issues, all the things that we've encountered over this season have really, they've hit my heart, they've hit your heart, and they've made me ask the question, I think a lot of us have asked, is like, okay, what's next? 
I mean, could anything worse happen? And, and my wife and I were asking ourselves, like, what else is going to happen? My, we immediately said, oh, no, don't ask that question. Because really, there have been so many issues that we've faced as a community from, from our COVID, from, from social unrest, and to even uh, this, these weather issues that we're facing right now. So many challenges have come. And the, the passage that came to my mind as I'm sitting at home uh, trying to see what's going on during this, this past week was this from James chapter 1. It says this, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Why is it that God allows trials to come into our lives? Why is it that God allows trials to hit us? It's so that we can grow in Christ-likeness, so that we can look more like Jesus. And so how is it that God wants us to look more like Jesus in this season? I'm going to give you one other verse to think about. It's from Galatians 6, verse 2. It says this, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. One of the ways that we grow in Christ-likeness is that we look after one another and we help one another where we can. And so although there, we don't know the full reasons for this, for this storm, the full reasons for the challenges that we're facing, what we do know is that we can help one another in this season. And Christian love can shine the brightest in times of crisis. So I want to give you three applications, three ways that we can help one another and look more like Christ in this season. The first is this, to give generously. And what resources do you have right now that God has, has given you? For some of you, that's as simple as, I have water, or I have power, or I have some plumbing skills. And I've already heard stories over this past week of how you, our people, have been leaning into one another's lives, helping to repair plumbing, or share a generator, or give water to one another. I would just encourage you to excel still more in those areas. Give generously of the resources God has given you. Um, but not just those physical needs. Some of those are going to be emotional, spiritual needs that you hear. So how is it that you can at, talk to your friends and neighbors about how to, how to help them? So the first is give generously. Secondly, it's to reach out to your friends and neighbors. Um, your friends and neighbors actually might need some physical help, but they might need emotional help. And so how can you reach out to your friends and neighbors and just be a good listening ear? Be someone that can hear them out in their struggle to, to wrestle with what everything that's happening in our world today, particularly these weather issues. I know many people are emotionally and physically drained over this season. And what a great gift you can give to your friends, families, and neighbors is just a, a listening ear, a willingness to reach out and hear them out and encourage them. And the third application is this. If you are in need, reach out to us. We want to help you here at Bayou City Fellowship. And that can be through our prayer line, um, or it could be just through reaching out to one of our pastors. We want to meet with you. We want to help you. So the third application is to say, if you're struggling, if you're, uh, if you're hitting a low, you are not alone. Reach out to us. We want to be there to help you get through this time. Christian love shines the brightest in times of crisis. We can look more like Christ and we can reach out and help one another. Do that in this season. You guys have a great week.